You're listening to the Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast with Terrence Murphy, where we cover sales, investing, and entrepreneurship with an emphasis on real estate. Each podcast, Terrence and his guests will bring you informative and inspiring information within the real estate industry. So I'm excited uh, once again for another episode of the Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. I got an, uh, a great friend, a guy that I've been inspired by for what he's doing. I didn't even realize he was from Texas. I've always kept up with him on social media, but he's out on the West Coast doing some amazing things. He also was an athlete. And um, welcome to the show today, Rob. Appreciate you being here, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate you, Terrence. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to the discussion. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing what we try to do is we try to bring on real estate entrepreneurs like that's the key. That's the focus. And we know Rod's got some amazing things going. We're going to let you tell he's going to tell you a little bit about his story. And then we're going to dive into some things that you can use going forward to be successful and be inspired by his story and really kind of know the things that are available for us and the opportunities that are out there for us as a real estate entrepreneur. So. Rod, tell me, man, just give me your story. Give me your story A to Z upbringing. Where are you from? How did you kind of get to real estate? How did you get into real estate? What 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 got you there? Yeah, well, uh, once again, Terrence, thanks for having me on. Love the Aggie colors, the Aggie theme you got going. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I you know, how it started, man. I grew up in Houston, Texas. I was born in Houston back in 1976. Came into the world. Robert and uh, Patricia uh, Watson was my father and mother. I grew up in the Fifth Ward community because that's where my father's uh, family side, his side of the family uh, grew up at. My mom and dad both graduated from Cashmere Gardens High School. And, you know, as I as I grew up, my parents unfortunately got divorced at an early age and I was too young to remember. But I grew up having really the best of both worlds because my mom's side of the family moved out to the country, a small town west of Houston, just past Katy called Brookshire, Texas. And, you know, I got introduced to the country life there by my grandfather. And that's where I really developed a lot of my hard work and discipline from because my grandfather was a no nonsense guy. You know, he had a fourth grade education, but he grew up a farmer, a rancher. He also, you know, he was big into being self-sufficient and and he never worked for anyone. Um, He had his own ranch and farm. He built hay every summer and that's how he made money to support the family. And he was very well respected in the community. Now, my father, on the other hand, you know, he worked for the city of Houston, but Towards the like mid to late 80s, my dad got into, you know, drug trafficking and, um, you know, the culture was changing within the urban communities of most cities across America. And at that time, I was too young to really know what was going on. You know, I just knew I saw my dad on the weekends, hung out with my brothers and my siblings. And one of the great things about having a chance to have older brothers was that they kept me, uh, I guess I would say more or less I got my competitive edge from them because they were involved in sports. You know, at the time I hated sports, but they both played basketball, football, baseball, little league. And I got the toughness and and that competitive edge from them. But, but my dad went to prison right around the time I was 10, 11 years old. And that, 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 that impacted me profoundly because I didn't see my dad again until I was 22. So my mom was, she was left with having the responsibility of raising me. And so right around the time I was 10, 11 years old, she moved me out of the inner city of Houston, the fifth ward, and we moved out to Katy. My mom wanted a freshman starting to get me outside of the whole environment of what was going on in fifth ward at the time where the neighborhood was going from a wholesome, you know, family ordering community to a drug infested community, a lot of violence, carjackings, crack was starting to take over. And I found sports, you know, to be that that place that I could go to to really you know, deal with a lot of the things I was faced with as a young man at the time, not having my dad around. And of course, my mom got remarried. You know, she was in an abusive relationship. So I would come home to oftentimes her arguing with my stepdad, physical altercations. 
And if you can imagine being 10, 11 years old, I mean, that, that's a lot for any kid to try to take on and deal with. But sports allowed me to, to engage and, and be involved in things from a positive standpoint. And I embraced it. You know, basketball was a sport that I absolutely fell in love with. I did play football, too, um, and I ran track. So over the years, I, I saw that my skills had enhanced and I got better at basketball. And I was fortunate enough as I got into high school to be recognized as one of the top players uh, in the city of Houston in the top 50. And then eventually by my junior, I was in the top 25. And I ended up deciding to go to a D2 school out in San Diego, California and got a full ride scholarship. And that really is where a lot of things changed for me. My perspective on life, my environment had completely changed. And I still felt like at that particular point in time in my life, I was still trying to figure out who I was as a person, what I really wanted to do with my life. And I knew basketball was a sport. I wanted to try to push it to the limits and get the opportunity to play in the NBA. And it was a lot more competitive back during those times when I was coming up in the you know late 90s to make it to the NBA. But I was fortunate after uh, four years of college, I was able to go overseas and play for three, well, almost three years. And that really, really changed my life being in the third world country in Sao Paulo, Brazil. To kind of tie it all in, you know, basketball was really what shaped me. But then as I grew older and, and matured, I realized the opportunities and experiences that I had in life prepared me for what I'm doing today. So when I was growing up, I didn't see anybody in real estate. And I remember when I was actually home for just visiting family, I was on break from playing overseas and I got injured and broke a bone in my foot. And um, I was, I was going to have to have surgery and I didn't want to tell the team. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then all of a sudden, I got a phone call from my college coach, and he was like, hey, you know, I just took this job at Point Loma Nazareth University, which is one of our rivals. He's like, I want to know if you'd be interested in being my head assistant and recruit and help me build a program. The funny thing was, I had written down my goals that if I didn't go back and play, what are the things that I wanted to accomplish? One of them was I wanted to get my master's degree within three years. Uh, the other was that, you know, I, I wanted to eventually own a home, and then I wanted to start learning more about real estate. So he basically said, what is it going to take for you to, to accept this position? And I said, well, look, if, one, they can't afford to pay me the money I'm making right now, but I'm open to it if they'll pay for my master's degree. And, you know, we negotiated housing and a few other things. Well, sure enough, they were willing to pay for my master's degree. So I was like, well, check that box on, on your goals list. So I went and I coached for three years. But during that period of time, I started studying on real estate. I started picking up courses like culture sheets, no money down course how to buy your first home with no money out of pocket. And that course actually showed me how to actually buy my first property after I got out of coaching and moved back to Texas. Hold on, Rod. I think there's some wisdom there. Uh, what you're saying is amazing. And I think there's something that I would like for you to expand on, which is that course. So you said it, it taught you how to buy your first home. Could you, can you dive into that? So let's segue into real estate, right? Tell me a little more about that, right? So how did you buy your first home and how did that course help teach you that? Yeah, well, the Carlton Sheets course was broken down into basically showing an individual how to actually purchase a property at that time with no money down and not really understanding what that meant in the beginning was basically then during that period of time, banks were offering 100% financing. So that meant basically all you had to have was a good credit score and possibly come to the table with closing costs. But in some cases, if you had a good agent on, depending on your market, all you had to do is be able to negotiate closing costs into the sale or the or the lender could wrap them into your, you know, your closing into your mortgage. Really? I told my wife, I was like, I think I'm on to something. This was before 2008 though, right? This was before 2008. This was like 2005 when we bought our first property. I started the course in like 2003, but by 2005, I had done research and we had moved. I left coaching college and we moved back to Texas and Houston. I actually moved back to Katy 
stay with my mom for a year. And we went around and learned about the different areas and decided Katie was where we wanted to be. And uh, from that course, it showed me how to basically structure my structure the loan, how to negotiate the terms and how to actually, you know, break, break down the process of buying a home as a first time home buyer. Also educating me on particular, you know, grants that would be available for first time home buyers. And so due to the fact that it was 100 percent financing still being offered, I was able to negotiate with the builder that were build, building our home, not only that they pay for the closing costs, but they also gave us credits for incentives, incentives for upgrades in the property. So we ended up buying our first home for like $157,000. The only thing I had to pay was like 328 bucks. I remember that number to the T, 328 bucks. And I think it was like 49 cents or something like that to uh, pay at closing. I ended up getting that money back, believe it or not, to escrow cut me a check like four or five weeks later. And I got this check in the mail. So literally, I bought a $157,000 house brand new for 100, for, for 100% financing. And then we went on to buy two more properties the same way, but these were not new construction. They were older homes that we bought as tax foreclosures. And so I learned everything I knew from a, getting started from a real estate standpoint by taking Carlton Sheets course, which is basically I saw an infomercial one night around, you know, whatever, one o'clock in the morning while I was up late That's and like, I bought the course. <laughs> Best 175 bucks I ever spent. Yeah, I'd love to expand on that before we jump into a lot of the things that you're doing today. So when you bought that property, right, if you were going to give me a quick one minute flyover of the Carlton Sheets, right, his his strategy. If you said if I came to you and said, OK, obviously it's 2020, it's not it's not 2005. But if you were just going to give me a quick flyover on how to buy my first home, what would you how would you take the wisdom that, you know, and that class and tell it to me in a minute or so? You know, you want to assess the areas where you're looking to buy. You want to buy in trending areas where there are good schools, near medical centers, or accessible highways, freeways, churches, and primarily good schools to, to begin with, where you see a neighborhood that's trending where people are paying a premium to actually own those homes. The other is you want to make sure your credit's intact, so that way you can secure the best possible financing and also secure your down payment in the market you know where we are today you're going to need down payment so you would want to definitely research if you're a first time home buyer if there are any down payment assistant loan programs uh, in place which there currently are bank of america offers up to i think $17,000 grant down there is a process you have to go through but lining up your financing and understanding your financial power is the most important thing because unless you're paying cash you're going to need to get a loan from a bank and you want to make sure that you are prepared when you go and apply for that application so you understand the process, one, that you don't get taken advantage of, and two, that you don't miss out on any opportunities that could be in your favor. And then the last is make sure you're working with a professional, mortgage professional that can properly you know, advise you and also a real estate agent or realtor like myself that understands the market of where you're purchasing. Because the person we work with, she was actually from Katie and she understood the market and uh, she was great. Uh, she was actually my mentor sister. And that worked out great. So making sure you have the professionals lined up in place and also insurance to cover the property, get you a good insurance agent that can properly advise you on the type of coverage you need on your home. But those are the things that basically I did when we first, when we bought our first property. That's awesome, bro. Thank you. So yeah. So like we want to tell them like finding a trending area, obviously that has good schools, you know, want to make sure your credit is right. So get, get credit repair, whatever you need to do to get your credit lined up. And then, like you said earlier, negotiate. So you get closing costs, builder credits, things like that. And then the down payment assistant programs. So usually the federal government has programs that you can apply for. Also, local governments have uh, different things you can apply for. And then the last piece that you put that I think is very important is building a team of professionals. 
So a mortgage lender, a real estate broker, an insurance agent, because a lot of times we want to just use our friend uh, from down the street or we want to use a guy that we knew in high school. We got to make sure that they're professionals. That's the thing. That's the word you said. That's the most important piece is when I pick a realtor, is this something that they're just doing on the weekends or part time or is it something that they actually know? Because really, at the end of the day, when you build that team, you're building a team of advisors, people who are going to advise you on the process. That's right. That's good, bro. That's right. Yeah, you don't you don't you don't want to gamble. I know a lot of times people, you know, when I first got into the tool, be like, oh, you know, we can buy a home. We can figure all this out. Uh, you can do your research, but it is important to make sure you're dealing with professionals when you're ready to pull the trigger because it can be costly if you make the wrong decisions on buying a home or you miss on opportunities that otherwise you would have been able to take advantage of had you been working with the right type of professional. So you don't want to gamble uh, when it comes to you know uh, making sure you're protected and you're getting the best deal possible when it comes to working with professionals in this industry. Take advantage of it because it doesn't cost you a dime to be represented by an agent. Yeah. And, and they're going to know things that, you know, the average person won't know. So like most lenders would know the down payment assistant programs in your area or in your county. They're going to be able to guide you. Obviously, the right realtor is going to be able to guide you and say, hey, this is an up and coming area. Look at the comps you can buy in now. You can get great value. Obviously, you know, putting that team together is the most important piece. And I would even add to that and say, ask for referrals like Actually speak to somebody who's actually closed on a home or somebody that you trust and say, who did you use or who have you heard of? And then once you find that realtor, usually the realtor can guide you to the right mortgage lender, the right insurance agent, the right title company, the right inspections, all those things. So I think that's the key, man. So, all right. So you buy your first home, you buy a couple more foreclosures and start building this rental portfolio. Walk me through the next steps of progression in your real estate career to really walk me through where you're at today. Cause one of the biggest things that I see in you is luxury, right? Like a lot of your clients are celebrities, athletes, and you've really built a brand around that. Right. So kind of walk me through that. Walk me through how you got to that point. Absolutely. Well, it definitely didn't start out that way. As I shared, it started with just me and my wife buying a few properties. We, we, we kind of ventured into wholesaling, but when we, we pivoted more into just buying rentals and holding them and uh, putting in long-term tenants. And that strategy worked really well for us because it, it, it allowed us to supplement our mortgage with cash flow that was coming from those properties. So my mortgage at the time was like nine, almost $1,100. And we were getting like 400 and some dollars a month in positive cash flow after taxes and insurance were being paid on those properties. So it cut my mortgage down from almost 1100 to like $600 a month, which you can't beat that at the time. So from there, uh, the market crashed you know, in 2008. And I pivoted and became a licensed realtor at that particular point in time and uh, started focusing on heavily on short sales because I saw that that market was prime. Nobody at that time, meaning agents, wanted to deal with short sales, nor did they understand the short sale process. And I got introduced to short sales by basically Googling the term short sale because I had a, my godmother at the time who I used to stay with when I was in high school. She was going through a foreclosure. And keep in mind, I had no experience really in dealing with foreclosures, didn't fully understand the process. And I started doing research and she came to me as like, I'm losing my home. Can you help me? I know you're in real estate now. And so I called her bank and said, hey, what are her options? Because I read her mortgage clause and it stated that it was a short sale or some form of a loan workout. And you have these clauses in your mortgage. So the, the, the lender was like, well, she could consider a short sale. This is what you have to do. You have to send us a packet with a valuation on our property, you know, at least three comps, also send photos if the property has any deferred maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. So we put together this packet. And back then, this was like 2007. 
And it was like a 50-50 shot that even some lenders would even respond because they were not prepared for short sales. So we sent the packet, never got a response. Unfortunately, we weren't able to keep her home from foreclosure because it had too much deferred maintenance. And she ended up just letting it go. But I had learned a lot. I learned how to actually successfully submit a packet, a short sale packet to a lender. So from that point, what I did is I said, well, shoot, you know, it's a lot of people in this situation. You know, at that point, this was the tip of the iceberg. The following year, the market crashed. And so I looked at banks like Bank of America, Wells Fargo. At the time, it was countrywide, held the most subprime loans than pretty much any other uh, mortgage uh, lender out there. So countrywide ended up being bought by Bank of America. So I went and did my research and saw which banks held more subprime loans. And obviously, country loan was one of them, Chase, which at the time was um, Washington Mutual, and they eventually became Chase. So I pulled a list, which was basically individuals that were in foreclosure. And I got the numbers and addresses. And so I only focused on Bank of America, Chase, and Wells Fargo loans. And I focused on people that had seconds and, of course, first mortgages. And most of the people had seconds were in a position where the first lien holder had rights over that property from a foreclosure process, which means when they foreclose, they'd wipe out those seconds. So it made it easy to negotiate with those second loans to get releases in order for you to sell the property at a discount. So I immersed myself heavily into short sales. And that was really my introduction to real estate. I mean, typical short sale, just as to give a you an example, took anywhere from six to 12 months to close. And I had some that took almost 18 months. So from there, we just progressed and progressed into that industry. I actually was fortunate enough from being on Equator, which is a platform to process short sales with Bank of America. They, they acknowledged the fact that, hey, Rod, you've been doing such a great job. We have this new program coming out. And just so happens, me and my wife had decided we want to move back to San Diego, take, take, take advantage of you know, the quality of life that California offers, et cetera. And so we made the move. And Bank of America had reached out to me and was like, hey, we have this pilot program that we're launching called Cooperative Short Sales. And initially, the way it was focused is they targeted agents that had designations like certified distressed property expert and, of course, short selling for foreclosure resources. Well, I had the SFR designation at the time, and you had to have one of those two designations to be considered. Well, back when I first started doing short sales, I said, well, let me get these designations so I can educate myself. Turned out that worked in my favor because the bank said, hey, in order for us to work with you and give you these assignments, mm-hmm. which is like REO assignments, you need to have a designation. So just by me educating myself without somebody telling me I need to do it, worked out in my favor in the long run. I got picked as the lead uh, agent here in San Diego to launch this pilot program. And man, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I thought like, okay, I'll get a couple of assignments here or there. Bro, I ended up closing like 40, 40 properties here in San Diego between 2011 and 2014. Well, make that 2015. And, and I had received over 300 leads. Now, keep in mind, everybody doesn't accept assignments. People have the right to say yes or no. And a lot of people were just hard to get a hold of or they did, never would respond. But out of the ones that responded, we closed over 40 transactions. That is what really propelled me forward. And in between that time, I was still keeping in contact with my professional clients. And I had a relationship with guys in the NBA and NFL just from me playing sports all over that you know, over the years. And one of my key friends gave me opportunity to sell his home in 2011 back in Houston. We were living in San Diego at the time and uh, it worked out. He played for the Houston Rockets and we sold his property. And that was my you know, introduction to sports and entertainment. So while I was still doing distress sales, I realized that market was going to be coming to an end soon eventually. And the writing was on the wall because the market was starting to bounce back around 2012. 
prices were starting to go up. And I said, man, you got to reinvent yourself. Short sales aren't going to be here forever. And we had our run with short sales. I mean, we did well over 100 transactions doing short sales from Texas to California. And I had my experience. And at that point, everybody was becoming a short sale expert. And I was like, all right, it's time to pivot and do something else. And so that's when I realized like, okay, you got to build a brand. You got to build your name. We're working with this exclusive niche market individuals that not everybody can get access to. And uh, Terrence, you understand what it's like to be a professional athlete and an athlete as well. You know, there's a lot of demand, a lot of moving, you know, moving pieces when you, when you, when you have to make a decision about where you're going to live, where you're going to send your kids to school and, and just lifestyle, et cetera. You need someone that's a professional to help guide you relocating your, your personal items from one play, one state to the next. So I understood the demand that these players are faced with when they have to pick a new city to live in or if they're getting traded and have to go to a new city. So I said, this is perfect. This is the perfect niche for me to build my name and my presence in. And I felt like there would be less competition in in that niche. And it wasn't something that everybody could come jump in. Like when I started short sales, yes, it was a niche, but by six or seven years in, everybody was a short sale expert. From there, I dove into just building my presence, working with sports and entertainment professionals. And that was around 2014 when I really started focusing on building a brand. I mean, and we never looked back. And here we are today. No, I love it, bro. Man, that's great. So obviously cut your teeth in the short sales. It really pushed, it really threw you in the fire because you had to learn systems. You had to learn processes, contracts. And so as you transitioned, you kind of saw the writing on the wall. Okay, I need to get into luxury. I need to get into professional athletes. I'm on the West Coast already, so that makes sense. Let's talk about it. As you started building out your value proposition for professional athletes, actors, things like that, as a real estate salesperson, what were some of the things that you tried to put in place up front? Was it assistance? Was it concierge services? Let's talk about that. Like, What did you put in place to where you feel like was your value proposition to, to these type of people? Well, what I did is first, I hired an assistant to help me you know, put in systems that you know, from a standpoint of focusing on service first, because I understood that these individuals focus, they really respond to service, the high level of service, first class service and attention to detail and being disciplined coming from a sports background. I had the discipline when it comes to attention to detail, being a former athlete, understanding what the expectations were. So we focus right out of the gate on our service and ability to, you know, help them with relocation which we actually gained the trust from a couple of agencies that refer clients to us that needed relocation services. And then that led to conversations about buying and selling. That got our foot in the door, aside from the relationships that I had already had in place with prior sales with clients back in Texas and California, we were starting from scratch. So we, we, we launched our relocation service. And the other was our concierge services. I had relationships with yacht companies here in San Diego, also with plane, or jet service, helicopter service, and luxury cars. I had a, I, what I did is I focused on strategic partnerships. Mm-hmm. So I went and I met with company owners. Like, for example, for our luxury car service, we offered a black car service. So if any of these athletes or celebrities came into town, they wanted to look at homes, we didn't expect them to drive around in their cars. We actually had a black car service go and pick them up from the hotel or wherever it is that they're staying to take them on the you know home tours and then return them back to the hotel or wherever it is that they were staying at the time. And I met with Platinum Motorsports and I shared my vision with them. And they were like, yeah, we definitely, you know, we believe in it. And I was like, all right, well, how much, you know, are you guys expecting? Well, they were like, we don't want anything from you. We, 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 we want to partner with you and we'll cover the expense because we want exposure to our vehicles and we want exposure to this network of, you know, clients that you can you know, introduced us to. So I secured a partnership right off the bat with Platinum Motorsports. Uh, Hollywood Suits was another brand 
who actually still to this day, I can go in there and they still provide me with complimentary suits and to my clients. So what I did is I started connecting a lot of the young rookies with the Chargers and with the Rams that, you know, needed to dress well and look good. Because believe it or not, a lot of these young guys, they don't have suits, right? They might have that one suit they wore on draft day. But Terrence, I think you can relate to this, especially in the NFL, more so than the NBA. A lot of these guys don't have suits. So what I did is I started building relationships at networking events and met a couple of young rookies that played for the Chargers or second year guys. And, you know, I would invite them out to lunch. They'd have lunch. And I'd say, hey, you know, you know, I was older than these young guys and say, hey, you guys have suits, you know, and they're like, oh, man, I got one or two suits. I was like, well, would you would you be interested in coming down to Hollywood suits and getting fitted? And, uh, you know, it was an experience for them, you know, and it was a way for me to build trust. And so I brought a couple of clients into Hollywood suits and we did uh, influence agreements with the clients where all they had to do was wear the suits when they're getting on the plane or walking into wherever it was during the game, down the game tunnel, take that photo, post it on their social media page or Twitter and just make a comment about Hollywood suits. And Hollywood suits, uh, we created a strategic partnership with them. Yeah. And uh, these were things that I used to leverage and to also, you know, when you can post these things on social media and your clients are tagging you, it gives you visibility to that market. So I played strategy more or less. I was on the offense playing strategy and figuring out ways to provide value to the clients that we serve from a service standpoint, because it, it doesn't just start out, hey, let me sell you a house. It starts out with, can I trust you? What value do you have to offer? Because keep in mind, everybody's coming at these guys trying to get them for something. So I never approached them with the like, let me just represent you on buying a home. It was like, what can I help you with? Right. And so we focused there first strategy, strategic partnerships, providing a high level of service and also providing our relocation service. And that all then led to us being able to represent these clients when it came time for them to purchase homes. That's perfect. So I want to dive into that a little bit. If I'm an individual agent, top producer, whatever in my career, and I get my first assistant, what would you tell me that I need to make sure that assistant is doing to really let me focus on what I do best? What did you have your assistant doing in the beginning? Was it building out the marketing things? Like, walk me through that. So marketing was the, one of the biggest things we focused on. Yeah. Brand awareness, marketing. I had my assistant and also had a, I had an actual um, someone that really focused more on our digital marketing, if you will, and um, really focusing on our presence on social media, because at that time, social media was was big. Like Instagram was new on the scene. Twitter had kind of been around, but Instagram was really big. So we wanted to leverage our connections and also leverage what we were doing. So we focused heavily on our marketing on Instagram and social media, like Facebook was still really big at that time. And then we also focused on figuring out how we can actually connect with the agents, the business attorneys and the business managers for lunch appointments, face-to-face meetings, or even quick five-minute phone calls to pitch, if you will, and then send our deck. So we focused on crafting an actual deck that outlined our unique, uh, what, what basically what made us unique, what separated us from the competition. And the reality was we knew there wasn't a lot of competition, meaning there weren't really uh, outside at the time, not through, I believe that was Kofi, and then there's a guy named Jordan out here who represented most of the Lakers back in the day. There really wasn't anyone else in Lee Nets that, you know, we knew as competition. So we created our own sports deck that was designed to tell those agents or those representatives or the players specifically what our intentions were, the value we had to offer them and what separates us from the competition. And we leveraged that. That was something that we leaned on very, very heavily. So identifying the sources, getting names, phone numbers and emails. And I paid an intern that summer because I had actually launched a radio show. And this was my other strategy. I launched a radio show on ESPN called Ballers World, where we interviewed the top athletes and entertainers in the industry. And what I did was hired that intern to actually go and get the information data of all the players on the West Coast, 
that play for the teams here on the West Coast, their agents, their attorneys, their business managers. And then we just emailed those people and we called them and we just focused on making contact with them to just see if we could build a relationship, even if it was one person that would eventually we knew would lead to a transaction. So that was our strategy out of the gate. That's what, that's what we focused on. Man, that's big because you were focusing on not only a, a lot of things that like when I'm talking to my agents, I always tell them anybody can go and try to sell somebody on something. And if you bring value, so I always say USP, what's your unique selling proposition? So when I'm talking to clients, like here's what you is unique about me and here's where I think my value proposition is amazing. So you did that and then building that database. You probably still have a spreadsheet or a CRM with all those contacts oh, in it. Still got it to this day. <laughs> <laughs> so when it's time now to send out a property on the West Coast to say, hey, I got this investment property or whatever, you've built something that is attached to your business. So I think that's amazing. I want to hit these things. That I think it was cool. The strategic partnerships, I think, is genius, especially if you're doing high end properties. So for us, obviously, we're in Texas. We sell a lot of high end ranches. So we have partnerships with uh like our four dealerships cuz you know a lot of these guys are, are buying dooleys and things like that we have partnerships with like the Kawasaki and Polaris to get the Rangers and four wheelers so that is a it's a very similar strategy you just got white sand and blue water <laughs> and I got trees and ranches so no that makes sense on the concierge and the relocation services walk me through from a concierge standpoint what is some of the services that you provide and why did you decide to make that a part of your suite that you provided to, you know, athletes and high net worth individuals? Well, on the concierge side, we knew that most players aren't going to stick with a team for 10, 15, 20 years, or, you know, most players are going to be with a team for one season, three seasons, if they're fortunate. Due to those statistics, we just looked at the numbers and said, you know, how many teams are there in the NFL? How many teams are there in the NBA? How many players are on each team? There's a high number percentage of these players that are going to be getting, they're going to have to relocate every season. So we focused on saying, all right, what companies out there really provide a service? And we did our research. Most players, they have to scramble and find someone that can move their cars, that can move their furniture, that can help them locate a family. And they're dealing oftentimes with multiple people as opposed to one source that handles everything. And we became that one source that would handle the relocation of their vehicle, the relocation of their furniture, if that's going to storage, if that's going to go to the new home. My assistant, I had her working next to me to basically take care of all of those services at once. So the player didn't have to worry or his wife or his girlfriend didn't have to worry about talking to three or four different people. They just dealt with us and we oversaw the process of the cars being moved, the furniture being moved. Sometimes we have players moving furniture from their from the residence to storage and then eventually from storage on a certain date to wherever the houses are going to be. So we focused on being more or less a one-stop shop when it came to the actual relocation services and then the concierge services, we knew like when players come to LA for the off season, which a large number of players do, they need short-term housing. And what I found in my research is oftentimes they didn't find individuals that were professional or again, they couldn't offer them services like a chef, a, a bodywork specialist, which most people call a masseuse, but we call them bodywork specialists. A chef, as I mentioned, someone that can cook and prep their meals because that's important. Most of these guys have strict diets and they eat certain times a day or throughout the day. And they need someone that can basically prepare the, the type of meals that they're accustomed to eating. Um, if they're not already bringing a chef in town with them, which many of them don't. And then the other is it's, you know, LA is a place city, so they need cars to drive when they're in town. So we focused on providing packages to them. 
Yeah, y'all put it all in one package. Put it all in one package. So if you want this house, this house is this much per month. If you want these additional services, it's this on top of what the house is cost per month. So if you want the chef, you want the car, if you want the body work specialist, we can provide you with this package at this price. And most guys went with the works because they were like, oh, I don't have to worry. We're going to get the black car service. Rod's going to have a car come pick us up from the airport, take us to the residence. We have a chef there that has food already prepped or if they have specific requests for, you know, certain types of snacks, things like that, et cetera, bedding, whatever it may be. It was all turnkey. They didn't have to think or have to worry about calling multiple people or dealing with multiple people. And what I found is that the agents or the managers that dealt with those players, they were like, shoot, you know, that really that gives me a lot of relief because I don't have to be on the phone trying to figure all these things out for these guys. Rod's taking care of everything. So. It's again, it's about service. I mean, I learned early on working for Lexus and Porsche that, you know, if you want to win clients over, it's about the service you provide from them out of the gate. The more easy it is for these guys to not have to think and do a whole lot of things or talk to a number of people, it's going to increase your chances of them working with you if your service is impeccable. Man, that's awesome. And I think that's the one reason why I wanted to have this show called The Real Estate Entrepreneur, because that's who you are. A realtor would just find them a lease and say, if you decide to buy in six months, give me a shout. But when you're talking about chefs and you're talking about black car services, you're talking about massage therapists and suit tailors and having rental cars. I mean, you're creating a whole experience. And at some point that word gets around, you start building that referral base and that's going to turn into high end homes being purchased. But you didn't start at that end goal. How do I get Terrence to buy a two million dollar house? It's how do I provide value and service to him? And as that experience he gets, because he's used to that. Because like you said, most athletes, obviously, we've been kind of catered to since we were in high school. And a lot of times people see that as a negative. But when you look at the revenue that these athletes are producing for these teams or for these colleges, you, you, they should be getting catered to. So I think that's awesome, bro. I also told a lot of our guys, like, the strategic partnerships, I would induce, introduce them to the owners of those companies and business. I'm like, look, this is a benefit for you too as well because you're building a relationship with people that are, have influence outside of the football field or the basketball court. And you never know where these relationships can lead to. And, and a couple of my clients end up getting sponsorship deals with our, with our strategic partners. So, you know, it, it's more about making those connections and, and helping people along the way than just saying, can I get a transaction or where's my next deal going to come from? I trusted the process that eventually the sales will come. And I can tell you this, when I first started out, it took almost two years to cash a check. You know, when I came to LA, I worked for free for 18 months. I mean, I was spending my own money that entire time before we started closing deals. Wow. 50% of most realtors are out of the business after year one. And the 50% that make it to year two, another 50% drops off. So you take the first two years in the business, 75% are out of the business because they're not willing to play the long game. Like they just want to get in, work part time or work on the weekends and sell a million dollar house. I love millionaire real estate agents, some of these shows, but they really sets a bad precedence for all the things that you got to do and the things that you got to set up to truly be a great real estate broker. So I think that's that just, man, I, and I know that's probably half of the story. So. How's your team set up? Like with all the things that you're doing for these clients, do you have listing coordinators? You know, what's your year to year production right now, Rod? Like what are you trying to hit every year in production and sales volume? Yeah. So while I'm growing, I, I had to take a step back from when we first came to L.A. and I hired people. I had to understand the importance of hiring people. And I, I hired people based upon like, oh, I, I think that person's good. I want to give them a chance. And didn't realize that I wasn't hiring the right people based upon their talent and skill set for that job. And I had to learn how to hire individuals. So 
I had to take a step back and I had to remove people that were around me at the time that were not a right fit for, for, the, for the role or for the company itself. Uh, they, had, they had the wrong intentions. So once I learned that, then I started moving differently. But where I am right now, I try to fluctuate between producing about 15, 10 to 15 million a year with the long-term goals. By 2023, my goal is to have a team that's producing right at about 40 to 50 million a year. And last year we did 15 million. So this year we're on pace to eclipse the 20 million mark. So with that being said, I believe we're on track to eventually by 23, 23, 2023 to have a team that's doing 40 to 50 million, which in California, that's not easy to do because it's just so competitive and you have to have listings in order to hit those type of numbers. You're not going to hit those numbers just with buyers. So I've now been focusing my team on two things. One, operations. So I have a director of operations who basically helps me with sourcing data and information and making connections with people in the sports and entertainment space. She actually worked with the NFL Network and I recruited her and was able to hire her. And being at KW, one, one of the reasons why I chose KW, at least the company I'm at in KW Beverly Hills, is because their leadership team, unlike a lot of the companies who tell you, we're going to do this, do this. My focus was on how can I build a business? I don't, every brokerage that I was at before, and I moved multiple times because empty promises were made. My focus is how can I build a business? If I'm already closing these deals with these people. I don't need your help to do that. I need you to help me scale and grow. Mm-hmm. And none of these other companies at the end of the day could show me how to do that or weren't interested in it. Whereas where I am now, they said at a minimum, we can show you how to hire talent. And that got my attention. Yeah. So we started doing what you're probably familiar with, with every person we hire, KPA assessments. So we understand the personalities, individuals that we're hiring for the position. And it isn't just about, oh, I like Terrence. He's a cool dude. He seems like he might be, you know, the right fit. That's not how a business owner should make that decision. So I had to understand the responsibilities of a business owner and a boss. From there, I hired a director of operations. And then the other is I have agents that focus up on following up on buyer leads. So we keep those transactions coming in. And then I have another agent who's helping me focus on basically landing high-end listings between the price point of $3 million and, and basically $6 million because that's that sweet spot for me. I've closed in that, in that price point. And what I found here in LA, sellers want to work with people that are experienced in selling homes at the caliber of their property. And so if you are going after $3 million home in California, in LA, and the seller asks you, have you ever sold a home at this price? And you say, no, they're probably not going to hire you unless you come referred by someone. So for me, I, I realized that it said, you know, oh, I'd love to sell to 10, 20 million, but I've said, let's, let's build a niche out in three to six, which are still great paydays, and then we'll grow from there. That's good, bro. So obviously you're using social media. I mean, you're, you're killing it on that. Yeah, we run ads regularly. We run ads every day. So where are you running ads? And you said digital marketing. Are you doing postcards? Are you doing billboards in, in California? Like, where do you feel like from a marketing standpoint? Yeah that you really kind of honed in on it? I started out doing a lot of postcards and realized that it's hard to compete in postcards becoming more and more expensive to send out. I phased out postcards about 2016 and focused on digital ads. We run ads to attract sellers and we run ads to attract buyers and we target them based on income, location, example, like how someone does circle prospecting where you call around a property that just sold to see if anybody's interested in selling. Well, I tried that and saw that there's a very low rate and it's very hard to keep agents engaged to do that for a long period of time. But if I run ads around properties that just so it's more effective because the system is doing all the work for you. And then you're only talking to people that are engaged, that are serious, and that are interested in what you have to offer. 
and we test what we send out. We look at our engagement, we look at our conversions, and we keep changing ads out until we find those ads in which I'm fortunate to be at a company. We have a technology called Command. So it tells us specifically, here are your ads that are performing the best. Here are the ads that are getting the highest level of engagement and conversions. And that's where we put more of our money at, into those ads. And we just let them run. And I created a strategic partnership with a lender. So the lender covers the cost for those ads going out. And we just refer the clients over when, when, our, when, my, when my buyers agents make connections with a qualified candidate that says, hey, I'm interested in buying. They check all the dots and they say, yes, I'm ready to go to the next steps and get qualified. We refer to the lead directly to our mortgage lender, who's our partner. And you know, it, it works out great. So the ads is basically where we get our best value I, I, like I said, if I do postcards, which I do do, but we use a specific type of postcard that targets properties that are a fit for sports and entertainment professionals. And we let them know we are the you know top sports and entertainment real estate firm that specializes in connecting sports and entertainment professionals with extraordinary homes. And so that gets their attention because they're getting a bunch of other postcards that are just saying, use me because I'm the best Joe Blow agent, whatever, whatever. But we're saying, hey, we're the best at connecting the ideal buyer for your home. And this is our history. This is our background. So that engages them. So we do strategic postcard mail specifically to properties from the actual expired list that fall into that category that you know fit the scope of what most professional athletes or entertainers are looking for. No, that's good, bro. Because like you said here, that's your motto, connecting extraordinary people with extraordinary lifestyles. I love that. That's your passion. So when you're doing those digital ads, is it Facebook? What's the top platforms that you've been really focusing on doing Facebook that Facebook and Instagram are the top Facebook, two. Instagram. Um, and then, you know, we're starting to pick up some marketing on um, LinkedIn because there are a lot of professionals there, obviously. And I've, I've LinkedIn has a marketing platform similar to Facebook. It's a little bit more cost. Yeah, they're, cost they're starting more. to ramp it up. I have a LinkedIn premium account. So we do basically what's called LinkedIn sales navigator. So what that does is that allows us to target who we want to send information out to. And then I have a system called DuckSoup that syncs with Gmail. And so I'll just paste in there what I want to send to that target audience. So it could be a property. It could be a specific message with our postcard attached and send it directly to them. And we use that system to generate and curate leads as well, too. And it's worked effectively for us. So we use Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn Sales Navigator when we do our digital uh, marketing. And it's all targeted. That's big, bro. We focus not just so much on the conversion, but we focus on the pipeline development. And that's what I try to get my agents to understand. This business is a marathon. You're not going to close everyone that walks through the door. You want to build a relationship with everyone that walks through the door and let people know they're not just a transaction, that you truly are in this business to help them accomplish their goal. And if you work from that perspective, what you'll find is that people buy in clusters. So you have a cluster 300 comes in one month. Next month, you might get 10 or 15 that say, I'm ready to start the process. And then from there, that process can take three, four, however many months before you get to the closing table. But it's really about engaging people and letting them know you're here to help them and build a relationship with them. So we focus on build your brand, build your name in the space that you want to be known and recognized for, and just double down on generating leads and building relationships. Man, I love it, bro. I love it. What are you doing right now to uh, invest in yourself? Like, what are you doing? Is it you going to yoga? Are you reading? Like, are you going to seminars? As a real estate entrepreneur, you're putting out to your team, you're putting out to your clients, you're putting out to your family. What are you putting back into your cup? I've been doing some reading. I picked up a book called Brands and Bullshit, which the author, he's, he's actually a professor at the University of San Diego and in, in San Diego State. Bullshit. And he wrote this book called Brands and Bullshit. And it really talks about having an understanding because most people think a brand is just a logo, right? Or a term, a brand is about trust and, and about consistency. 
And so I picked up that book to really make sure I have a real core understanding of what building a brand is really about, because that's what I'm on the path to doing and what I'm focused on. Yeah. And that book has helped me out a lot. I've also been reading The Millionaire Investor from uh, Gary Keller. I'm reading that book right now, which is just, you know, even though I know things on investment, my vision is to build our own private family, you know, office here with clients that I've serviced that are now trusting me. And rather than just saying, give me your money, it's like, no, let's all work together and let's build something special together for our families. And so I'm, I'm doing more research on past success stories of private families, even though they're very little from a, as far as Black families. But I have a good friend of mine. His name is um, Isaac Richards Richardson. He's at Morgan Stanley. So we're working together to kind of build an infrastructure of this out. So been doing research there because, you know, we talk about investing in things. You know, my whole thing, as you just shared, is a lot of shit I just don't know about. It. I'm not comfortable with spending money or putting money in things that I, I don't know. And I know they may work for other people or they have, but a lot of those people have oftentimes money that they can afford not to get back <laughs> that I don't. So for me, I said the best thing I can do is bet on myself and my ideas. And that's what I'm focusing on doubling down on. So doing more research around what I'm working to launch and eventually, you know, you know, a harvest from here in the near future, you know, like I said, in the next three to four years. No, I love it, man. You put the rich dad, poor dad, you know, we always tell all our guests to come bring a book or two and tell us why they suggested it. Why did you put in the rich dad, poor dad by Robert Kiyosaki? Yeah, that, that book changed my perspective on life. That book really helped me get to where I am today. And that's what started me of, of on the course of owning properties, buying my first home, aside from the call to sheets course, reading rich dad, poor dad, showed me the objective is not to just be self-employed. The objective is to be a business owner, something that you can eventually create and work outside of that generates income when you're not there. And that stuck with me. And I'm still on the course and the pathway 15 years later to make that happen. And oftentimes people think you can, you know, you see all these gurus, you see all these courses and it leads you to believe everybody's just becoming millionaires overnight. That might be the case with some people, but on average, you got to put a decade or more into something to start seeing that type of results. Or you got to have the money to go buy a business that's already been successful or a formula from someone else. And like I said, since I'm not wealthy or rich, I had to focus on building something for myself. And that book really is the blueprint. If you want to have success, the goal is to be a business owner, right? And to then invest money from that business when you when you start actually having the money to invest in other you know, strategic or strategies that are going to lead to good returns on your investment, like real estate, passive income opportunities. So that book really opened my eyes. And it, it told me, like, if you want to build wealth for you and your family, this is the path you have to take, you know, and the game of life is really like the monopoly, right? You know, you know, you know, this and what you're doing, you know, you're, you're a prime example looking at the way you're moving. It's an inspiration because you're doing development, you got the sales, you know, you have multiple business that all are wrapped around real estate and connecting with people at the end of the day. And uh, you're going to reap large, you know, huge rewards and your family will too, you know, from that. And that's really what you want to focus on is creating something that's sustainable for you and yourself and your family that can, they can also benefit from for years to come. Yeah. It changed my life, bro. In 08. Yeah. It really gets you in the perspective, the mind frame of money, how money works and the purpose of money and how you should be focusing on make, you know, getting money to work for you and not the other way around, which is a hard thing to do. It's not easy. You know, they make it seem easy, but it's not no. because you have to do a lot of work for a long period of time before oftentimes seeing the results that the book talks about. Final thoughts, bro. If you want to leave our listeners, you know, you are the real estate entrepreneur. Like you said, you're selling real estate. You're building out a concierge team, a relocation team. You're getting ready to put together a fund and things like that to invest in real estate flips. I mean, if it's real estate and it's real estate centric, you got your hands in it. 
What's some final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with as we get ready to close? One, go after go after the things you say you want in life, your dreams, and be prepared to put the work in for those things. Be prepared to make sacrifices because none of it will come easy and be persistent and just do not give up. You know, I listened to Eddie Murphy share something yesterday. You, if you've heard of the book Sharknado, the movie Sharknado, like a tornado, Sharknado. And I remember telling my wife the other day, like, how do all these whack movies get on, get on, you know, Netflix and other platforms? And Eddie Murphy said, it's simple. Those people didn't give up. And don't give up. If you really want something and, and, and you believe in it and you can visualize it and you can see it, stay persistent, keep working to get better. Mistakes are just lessons that can turn into blessings if you stay consistent and, and, and focused on your goals and your dreams. And I'm a living testament. If, if anybody has watched me and been around me long enough to know I'm a bulldog, you know, you want to kill me yeah. to give up on my dreams, period. Yeah. I'm going to die trying. And my kids are watching. So with that said, any individual out there that wants to have, you know, the things that they say they want in life, be prepared to make a sacrifice and do what it takes to get there in a legal and ethical way. But be prepared to put in the work is all I'm saying. And just don't give up. Be patient with the process and stay consistent. Man, that's good, bro. Well, thank you so much, man. Thank you for your inspiration. I'm proud of you, bro, what you're doing. Thank you for always sending uh, positive, encouraging words my way. And uh, man, this is going to be a great episode for someone who aspires to become not only a real estate entrepreneur, but a great real estate salesperson, broker, and just making some amazing moves, man. I'm proud of you, dog. Yes. Thank you, man. Same here. You're, you're a big inspiration, man. And when I when when things clear up with this coronavirus, I'm coming to Texas. And it's like my mom and grandma and cousin up in College Station. So I'll be making, coming up to give you a visit and pick your brain, man, on the development side on some things we're going to be working to do here in the near future. So thanks again and blessings to you and happy holidays to you and your family. All right. Take care, bro. Talk to you soon, dog. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. Please subscribe on whichever platform you are listening and consider leaving a five-star review as that will help us gain traction and continue to bring you knowledge in the real estate industry. For more content, head over to terrencemurphy.com.